Okay, turn over to Psalm 91, and we'll be, if you're reading from a version from the Septuagint, um, based on the Septuagint, we'll be in Psalm 90. Okay, so, I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to pretend that you are 17 years old. Okay, now, so for some of you, that's very exciting. For some of you, that may be a kind of a terrifying thought. I don't really want to go back to 17, but I want you to think about your 17, and your parents have just told you you're going to spend the summer on a farm. Okay, and that's kind of exciting. And this is no ordinary farm. This is a very special farm, and this farm is known for several things. One, the people on this farm are wise and kind and loving and wonderful mentors. So you're like, this is awesome. I get to spend the whole summer with this great, great group of people. Okay. The second thing this farm is known for is its puppies. Okay. And they have puppies, puppy dogs. And these puppies um, actually are, are puppy German shepherds. And they raise these German shepherds uh, to be seeing eye dogs. And they're, they're like renowned for raising these puppies to, and training these dogs to be incredible um, creatures that, that help the blind all over the world, okay? And, and the, thir- the next thing it's known for is its abundant crops. So there's something about the soil in this farm, just something unusual. But, but the, the raspberries are just raspberry-er. <laughs> the, the, the tomatoes are tomato-er. Okay? They're, they're, they're more luscious, they're more tasteful, and it's something in the soil, I think. But they, they, they're going to train you how to work the soil and raise these crops. Okay? And so you go on your first day and you show up, and they say, okay, we're going to put you in one of the three roles. Okay? We're going to either let you work with the puppies, okay? and then the second role would be we're going to put you in the farm to work in the crops. We're going to train you to do that. And the third is we're going to put you in charge of killing the venomous snakes. Okay. And you said, the venomous snakes, what, what, tell me more about that one. And they said, well, oh yeah, we have lots of venomous snakes on the farm. And you're, you're thinking, okay, how venomous are they? And, and where? I don't see any snakes here. And, and no, they're, they're all over. They're, they're in the, the tall grass and they're in the trees. So it's very important that you um, know how to take care of these snakes. So which job would you like to start with? Okay, now I don't know about you guys. I wouldn't like to start, I might start with the puppies, okay? And maybe I'd like to do hard work, but the venomous snakes one wouldn't be my first choice. But the farmer looks you now and says, everyone on the farm kills the snakes, okay? And so what we're going to read about today is we're going to read an amazing psalm. This is Psalm 91, and this is about the spiritual battle that we're in. And this is the famous psalm that's quoted by Satan in Matthew 4. It's also found in Luke 4. And, and Satan twists this psalm um, in, a, in a very um, twisted type of way. And so we're going to look at this psalm, and I think there's much to be gleaned from it. So I'm going to read to the psalm once through, and then we'll come back to it line by line. It's a psalm of David. He writes in the spirit. He who dwells in the help of the Most High shall lodge in the shelter of the God of heaven. He shall say to the Lord, You are my protector and my refuge. 
My God, I will hope in him. For he shall free me from the snare of the hunters and from every troubling word. He shall overshadow you with his shoulders and under his wings you shall hope. His truth shall encircle you with a shield. You shall not be frightened by fear at night, nor from an arrow that flies by day, nor by a thing moving in the darkness, nor by mishap and a demon of noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, yet it shall not come near to you. But you shall observe with your eyes, and you shall see the reward of sinners. For you, O Lord, are my hope. You made the Most High your refuge. Evil shall not come to you, and a scourge shall not draw near your dwelling. For he shall command his angels concerning you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the asp and the basilisk, and you shall trample the lion and the dragon. For he hoped in me, and I will deliver him. I will shelter him, because he knew my name. He shall call upon me, and I will hear him. I am with him in affliction, and I will deliver and glorify him. With length of days I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So this was the psalm that Satan twisted, and we're going to jump over to Matthew 3. We can, let's go over that there right now. And we're going to read through the temptation. And what struck me as I was studying this was what it says at the end of the section. It says that angels attended Jesus. They ministered to him. And what struck me was, how intense must this have been for angels to have had to come and minister to Jesus? And it's, it's only one of two times that I'm aware of where the scriptures say that angels came and ministered to him. There probably were many, many times, but I can only think of two. And we'll look at the other one in a second. But let's read through this passage. We're going to pick up in verse 16 in Matthew 3. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot 
against a stone, right? This is the quote from this passage we just read. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you will fail, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Okay, so I think we know this pretty well, but let me just go through. We just read, um, Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came down upon him, and this thundering voice came and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is led into the desert, he's tempted, um, he's been fasting for 40 days, he's prepped for spiritual battle, full of spirit, and likely very hungry, okay? And he's tempted with bread, he's tempted with the flesh, right out of the gate, he responds with Deuteronomy 8, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he nails that one. Okay, And then Satan comes with the Psalm 90 scripture. So Satan starts quoting scripture to him. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and Satan skipped a verse there, he skipped a phrase, um, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in your hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then Jesus comes back and says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And we're going to talk more about that response. And then the third one, um, right, um, Satan lays it all out. says, you get all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory. Everything. And Jesus says, away from you, you shall worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. And so Satan's putting on the full press here. Um, he's bringing it all. And I, um, I think about all the kingdoms and all their glory, what that would have looked like. And here he comes, and, and, and Jesus stands up to it. But, but again, the angels ministered to him. You think about what must have been taken out of him to resist and to fight and to do battle here against temptation. And I want to look over in Matthew, uh, actually in Luke 22, to look at the other place where, min- where angels administered to him, just to see Jesus' intensity as he fights temptation. Let's pick up in verse 39. And this is Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Okay, so we see Jesus, a wonderful example in the spiritual battle, um, fighting temptation, preparing for temptation, and even being strengthened by angels. So now let's, with that background, let's go back to Psalm 90 or 91 and let's work through the psalm. And the irony, I think, is that this psalm, which Satan is trying to use to trap Jesus and get him to commit some very serious sins, if you think about it, the, the sin of tempting the Lord was a, was, resulted in Israel being eaten by snakes, a bunch of people dying by snake bites, right? And the sin of idols, worshiping idols, is a, is a, is a mortal sin, right? That can cause you to lose your salvation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The sins that lead to death and the sins that don't lead to death. 1 John chapter 3. And so these were two sins that, that could have led to death that Satan is tempting Jesus with. And G- Satan is using this psalm to try to get Jesus to fall. And yet, I think the psalm offers these amazing lessons for us about overcoming temptation. I find some irony in that. Let's work through it together. It starts by saying, He who dwells in the help of the Most High shall lodge in the shelter of the God of heaven. He shall say to the Lord, You are my protector and my refuge. My God, I will hope in him, for he will free me from the snare of the hunters. And from every troubling word, he shall overshadow you with his shoulders. Under his wings you shall hope. His truth shall encircle you with a shield. And you shall be not be frightened. So it goes on. So it's a wonderful picture of the God of the Most High. Um, it says, this godly man, this he, we're going to talk about who is this he he's talking about. Is it any godly person, man or woman? But this person is he who dwells in the hope of the Most High, who lodges there, has these amazing protections. He actually talks about the Most High will be his help, he'll be his shelter, he'll be his protector, his refuge. He will overshadow you with his shoulders. And he will, as you hope, you will hope under his wings. It's a beautiful picture of God and his protection and the wonderful blessings we have from God. And I thought about how big are God's shoulders? I mean, those are probably pretty big shoulders. I love the image of that. The protection of God putting his shoulders over his beloved person who was sheltering in, in him. And I thought about um, this idea of hoping under God's wings, okay? And, and you know, sometimes I'm just thinking that's the opposite image of maybe hoping maybe out in the cold with the rain all by myself, hoping. But no, this hope is like we're actually hoping being protected by God, even as we're hoping for something better than we have. Uh, just a wonderful picture of, of God's love and his care for his, his children. And yet as we see this, this, these wonderful blessings are conditional, Right? That we must be dwelling in the Most High. We must be lodging in the shelter of the God of Heaven. I think the psalm will go on and tell more about what that might look like practically. 
But you might ask, why do we need all this protection in all this refuge? Well, we can just read the next couple verses. Let's do that. It says in verse 5, You shall not be frightened by fear at night, nor from an arrow that flies by day, nor by a thing moving in darkness, nor by a mishap in a demon at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, yet it shall not come near to you. But you shall observe with your eyes, and you shall see the reward of sinners. So he doesn't say here, there's no danger, right? This person who's protecting, putting his hope in the Lord, who's sheltering in the Most High, actually has a pretty rough life. There's stuff to fear at night. There's arrows flying by the day. There's mishaps and demons at noonday. And there's things moving in darkness, which I don't appreciate things moving in darkness, okay? And so we got problems going on in the morning, at midday, and at night, okay? In this person who's sheltering in the Most High. And so I think that's why we need the refuge, right? That's why we need it. And it's an interesting in verse 7. I was trying to figure out what does this mean. It says, a thousand are falling at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. So what is this? Is this just kind of a hyperbole? I mean, David writes the psalm. I don't remember a time when he was standing and all of a sudden people were dying left and right around him. I can't think of many situations like that. So what does that mean? What, what, what is this referring to? It, it says in verse 7, A thousand shall fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, yet it shall not come near to you. What's, what's the it? Is it Physical death? I'm not sure. I don't see that in David's life. Is it spiritual death? Is it the evil and sin that we've been talking about? He goes on and says, right after that, It shall not come near to you, but you shall observe with your eyes, and you shall see the reward of sinners. So perhaps it's it's the evil that leads to sin, or could lead to sin. I don't know. Let's, Let's think about that as we read the rest of the psalm. And then asking the question, who is this he and this you he's referring to so far? Is it any person who shelters in God's wings, who finds his hope in the Lord Most High? Let's go on in verse 9. For you, O Lord, are my hope. You made the Most High your refuge. Oh wait, time out here. (laughs) Did you catch this? You, O Lord, are my hope. So, you, God, are my hope. You, O Lord, God, made the Most High your refuge. So, you, God, are my hope, and you, God, made the God Most High your refuge. What does this remind you of? This reminds me of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Right? David's saying, the Lord said to my Lord. There's two Lords, and, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 22. In Psalm 110, or 109, in the Septuagint version, um, you know, that Psalm talks about, I have begotten you before the morning star, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, um, you shall judge among the nations, but clearly this is referencing the Son of God. And I believe it's the same thing here. For you, O Lord, the Son of God, are my hope. You, the Son of God, made the Most High, the God the Father, 
your refuge. We'll see if that plays out as we keep reading. Here be some other clues I would think would suggest that that would be the way to understand it. Yeah. Evil shall not come to you, and the scourge shall not draw near your dwelling. Now that seems to contradict. We know evils came to Jesus. He was crucified. He was murdered. And yet perhaps this is not speaking of physical evil. He kept sin away from his heart. He did not let sin come into his dwelling as he dwelled in the Most High and lodged in the shelter of the God of Heaven. Verse 11, and this is the famous passage. So I'm going to read this, but we're going to skip over this and come back to it shortly. This is where he talks about, He shall command his angels concerning you to keep you in all your ways. This is what Satan skipped over, that, that line right there, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest your you strike your foot against a stone. So hold on to that. We're going to come back to that one, spend a little bit more time. And look at verse 13. Think of Jesus. You shall tread upon the asp and the basilisk, and you shall trample the lion and the dragon. Okay? <laughs> that seems pretty strong evidence right there. I mean, these are the names for Satan, mm-hmm. right? Throughout the scriptures, First Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Revelation speaks of the dragon, and ultimately he, the dragon being cast into fire. But Revelation 12, Revelation 20 speaks of the dragon as being Satan. And then, of course, the serpent, the snake. Genesis 3 is the, the famous prophecy, right? It says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Because here's the prophecy that Jesus will ultimately um, overcome, bruise, and eventually um, see the the, the destruction of the the serpent of Satan. And then, you know, 1 John 3 says, For the purpose the, the Son of God was manifested was that he might destroy the works of the devil. Right? That's what one of the reasons Jesus said he came, was destroy the works of the devil. This seems to me to fit, fit all together. Let's look at verse 14. Consider if this might remind you of Jesus. Because, for he hoped in me, and I will deliver him. I will shelter him because he knew my name. This, this person knew God's name. That reminds me of John 17. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me, which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Isn't that interesting? He's, he's revealed the Lord's name. Um, through the work which he's completed, the, the work that God had given him to do. And then in John 17, in verse 25, Jesus prays. He says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. 
So here, I, I love the idea that his, God's name has been revealed that speaks of the love that the Father had with the Son that Jesus is trying to reveal uh, to us and wants to live inside of our own lives. And then finally, in verse 15 and 16, consider what this might make you think of Jesus. He shall call upon me, and I will hear him. I am with him in affliction, and I will deliver and glorify him. With length of days, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I wanted to see if any of the early Christians thought that this was a reference to Jesus, and in fact, they did. And so, let me just read, just, I'll just read one. I have a couple great quotes in my, my notes here, if you're interested. But uh, this is from Irenaeus. This is what he wrote. For this end did he put enmity, hatred, between the serpent and the woman and her seed, they keeping it up mutually. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> They're both keeping it up, this hatred for one another. He, the soul of whose foot should, have, should be bitten, having power also to tread upon the enemy's head. But the other, biting, killing, and impeding the steps of man, until the seed did come, appointed to tread down his head, which was born of Mary, of whom the prophet speaks, thou shalt tread upon the asp and the basilisk, thou shalt trample down the lion and the dragon." indicating that sin, which was set up and spread out against man, and which rendered him subject to death, should be deprived of his power, along with death, which rules over men. So let's come back to verse 11 and 12. This is, this is the one that Satan twisted. So what's this all about? And what's he trying to do? Let's read that again. For he shall command his angels concerning you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Okay, so he leaves out, Satan leaves out to keep you in all your ways, right? Why would Satan leave that out? Okay, we'll hold on to that thought. So what is, Jesus, what is Satan saying? I think Satan's saying, okay, if you're the son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. And you won't get hurt hitting your foot on the stone and probably hurt not just your foot, but most of your body. It would be pretty painful to throw yourself off the top of the temple onto the stones and, and strike the stone. And fortunately, Jesus didn't take the bait. Okay, he, he came right back with, you do not test the Lord your God, quoting Deuteronomy 6. And I'll let you go back and read through Exodus 17 um, and Numbers 21. So Exodus 1, 17, 1 through 7 to me, the key line, when the people are complaining about not having bread and um, desperate for... Actually, here they were desperate for water. And so they're desperate for water. They had seen the, the miraculous provision of the bread. They had seen the miracles coming out of Egypt. And yet they say, because they tempted... It says, because they tempted the Lord, is the, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Mm. So they're doubting that God is with them. Yeah. And they're demanding things from God. And then Numbers 21, they continue, Why did you bring us here to kill us in the desert? Our soul is weary of this, of this worthless bread. <laughs> and God sends the snakes to, to destroy them. And um, Jesus will reference this in John 3, right? Of, of the healing he'll, he'll bring to those bitten by the snakes. 
So what's the point? Well, Jesus comes back. The point is we don't test God, right? He tests us. And Satan, though, is trying to get Jesus to test God, right? Um, to commit a terrible sin, a sin leading to death. And Jesus refuses. Now, Jesus had just heard God say what? This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Okay? That seemed to be enough for Jesus. He didn't need to throw himself down off the top of a temple to prove that he was the son of God. But the Prince of Darkness is like, no, no, that's not enough for me. Satan wanted to try to get him to prove it, right? And I thought, that's, that's good for me. That's a good example for me. I don't really need God to prove anything. I don't need to demand anything. <laughs> when things get tough, I, he's demonstrated his love for me. <laughs> Clearly in the scriptures in so many ways. Uh, David did a great job this morning. I think all the things we can be grateful for as Christians. I really don't need anything more. I don't need to demand anything more uh, from God. So the question I have is, well, what is this then? Um, what is this, this statement all about? About the stone? And Jesus obviously rejecting it, right? Um, I'm not going to do that. Is this a prophecy? That an angel will bear Jesus up at some future time? Um, if, if, it's not, if it is, is it fulfilled somewhere else? I'll, I'll tell you what I think, and you guys can decide for yourself. But he said, this, in verse 11 says, He shall command his angels to keep you in your ways. Okay, that's the point of that first sentence, right? That's the part Satan left out. That the angel is going to help you to support you to keep your ways. We read earlier, Psalm 91, that no evil would befall this man who puts his hope in the shelter of God. And um, he's going to keep you in your ways, staying far from sin. So God is going to command his angels to keep you in your ways, to strengthen you during these great times of temptation and trials. Okay, so that seems to make sense. But what about this other one, bearing you up... Um, What's it referring to? Lest you strike your foot against the stone. So what is that? What is that about? And so occasionally we go and look at the Greek word. Okay? And what is the Greek word for this striking? And the Greek word is proskopto. Okay? And actually can have two different meanings. Proskopto can mean to strike or to stumble. And there's examples of this throughout the scriptures um, using both. So in Matthew 7, remember the house and the waves that beat against the, the, the house, the, the wind and the waves that beat against the house, it says it strikes them. It, the proskopto is striking, beating against that. That would be a beat. But then there's a lot, I find a lot more places where it talks about to stumble. Okay, and usually it was used figuratively to stumble or to sin. So, an example in John 11 says, If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a stumbling here, I think referencing to sin. First Peter 2, Peter speaking of Jesus as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to the Jews. They're stumbling over him, not getting what... Jesus was about. And then turn over to Proverbs 3. This is a great one. It seems to fit right well with the psalm. 
Proverbs 3, verse 23. Think about how they use stumbling here. My son, do not be careless, but keep my counsel in thinking that your soul may live and grace may be around your neck and there will be healing for your flesh and care for your bones that you may walk confidently in peace in all your ways and your foot may not stumble. For if you sit down, you will be without fear. And if you lie down, your sleep will be pleasant. And do not be afraid of intimidation when it comes upon you, nor of the attacks of the ungodly when it comes at you. For the Lord will be over all your ways, and he will plant your feet firmly that you may not be shaken. Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's, it's so much of the same, um, the mishaps during the day, the demons coming in the midday, um, terrible things at night. But if we don't stumble, right, um, we don't be careless in our counsel and our thinking that God will protect us and be with us. It seems to me what Satan was trying to do, and I'll just throw it out there, is that he's trying to say basically, Jesus, hey, there's this prophecy that you've got to throw yourself down and, and the angels will come and swoop down and, and catch you and so you won't strike your foot against the bottom of, of, the, of the stone. Okay, And he's trying to tempt Jesus by using scripture and, and, and to make him test God, which is a terrible sin. And, and yet... I think it all, all it's saying is the angels are coming to strengthen us, to keep us in God's ways, so we might not stumble. <laughs> and, and therefore, they're going to help us with that. And um, I think that seems to make sense to me. And yet, Jesus, tired probably, hungry after 40 days of fasting, didn't give in to the temptation and um, clearly didn't see it as, as, as Satan saw it. So here's, here's the practical aspect of this. This is going through the psalm, and this may be troubling news for many of us. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, and we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And we need to be trampling snakes as Jesus did. And we may not want to trample on snakes, okay? You may not want that job, okay, of killing the snakes. You want to work with the puppies, okay? I want to work with the farming. I'm going to work hard and do my thing. But we all need to be killing snakes if we're following Jesus' footsteps. And that's kind of scary. That's, that's dangerous. And it's spiritually dangerous. Um, and yet, we need to be doing that. Um, as Christians. And so the good news is we have lots of tools to help us. And let's just, we just talked about them. He who dwells in the help of the Most High. Okay, we have God protecting us. And it's interesting, the help of the Most High. Can you think of any help we have from the Most High? How about the helper? Okay, in John 14, God, Jesus, it's good that I go away and I'm sending you the helper to help you while I'm gone, and um, to remind you and to convict the world of sin. I mean, the Spirit does so many things. Um, it lives inside of us. It comforts us. It guides us. It protects us. It warns us. It helps us. And so we have that, right, as we conquer and trample the snakes. Verse 3, we read, he says, He shall free me from the snares of the hunter. Okay? We have someone being, we're being hunted, 
Okay, the lion is hunting us. First Peter tells us. The serpent is trying to bite us and to bring us down, and yet God frees us from the snares. Okay, we fall into sin. We can be freed in our baptisms, forgiven of our sins, and as we walk in the light, we're continually freed and cleansed from the sins that try to ensnare us and take us into bondage. Wonderful blessing as we do this work. He says in verse 4, His truth shall encircle you as a shield. Okay, that's a big shield, okay, all around you, encircle you completely. Uh, We saw Jesus using the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of truth, his truth shall encircle you like a shield in a very defensive way, pairing Satan's blows, right? And I think, I thought also, this psalm talks about every troubling word. That comes our way. I think the accuser, I'm, I'm an accused person, and the accuser likes to use this one against me. And I realize I'm not very effective for God if I'm walking around accused and down and struggling with lies, okay? Mm-hmm. Got to deal with that so I can be strong. I can use the truth to, to deal with those lies, those accusations, and do God's work in a powerful way. The truth. He shall, his truth shall encircle you with the shield. I think of the truth of the kingdom message. When Jesus sends out the 70 in Luke 10, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And he sends them out. And the message was basically the kingdom of God is here. It's come near you. And the result of that truth, of that message, was this. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay? We know they were all killed. A lot of these guys were killed. But it speaks of, I think, the ultimate hurt. Right? It's not this physical, we're going to die. But spiritually, they remain faithful, sheltered in the Lord Most High as they brought down Satan's strongholds. The angels, another help we have as we fight temptation. And we saw it in Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, Are the angels not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? I'm not really sure at what point the angels come down to help us. (laughs) There are very intense times in Jesus' life that we, we read about it. But it seems to me that they're there to help us in our time of great need. Prayer. I mean, Jesus said, why do you sleep? (laughs) Rise up and pray, lest you enter into temptation. I say no more. (laughs) And then I just want to close with a beautiful picture. And and a lot of us probably saw this. Um, Max and Jenya had sent this about a week ago. But I thought this was a beautiful picture of the church, basically going about its life, demolishing the snakes, and staying in Christ, protected and secure. So doing both sides. So I just want to read this, this quote. This is from Ignatius, from the letter to the Ephesians, and consider just what this looks like and how we can be this together. I'll just close with this quote. So you are all participants together in a shared worship, 
God-bearers and temple-bearers, Christ-bearers, bearers of holy things, adorned in every respect with the commandments of Jesus Christ. Pray continually for the rest of humankind as well, that they may find God, for there is in them hope for repentance. In response to their anger, be gentle. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in the faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. Let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord, to see who can be the more wronged, who the more cheated, who the more rejected, in order that no weed of the devil may be found among you, but that with complete purity and self-control you may abide in Christ Jesus physically and spiritually. Amen. So, let's take encouragement by Jesus' example um, and the prophet telling us many secrets and revealing to us many secrets about overcoming our own temptation. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us? We, we want to shelter in your wings, under your wings. We want to lodge in your shelter, um, to be protected, to, uh, to be uh, safe, to have your refuge. Uh, God, would you help us to walk in your ways? God, would you help us to um, live by your commandments, God. Would you help us to um, stay in you, to stay in Christ, Father? Would you keep us from the evil one? And would you give us um, the word of God, which strengthens us, which clarifies what's going on in, in the day-to-day activity of our lives, um, where we can stumble, Father? Would you help us uh, to... Um, to see things as they, for what they are and to draw near to you, God. Uh, God, help each of us to overcome temptation. God, to be um, much more serious about what it's going to take to um, overcome the evil one in our own lives. Father, we each have our own uh, weaknesses. We each have our own temptations. Satan knows us well. God, would you fill us with your wisdom? Would you fill us with your spirit And may we arm ourselves for battle um, as we see uh, Jesus did, as we see the prophet speaks about, and uh, that we can overcome the evil one. We we give you praise for that. We also pray that we can trample on the snakes and and really do damage to the kingdom of this world, Father. May you um, help us to be um, powerful in you through our weakness, our meekness, our, our humility, and our love, God. And may your power be displayed Um, as we see it was in Jesus' life. God, we we love you. We pray your blessing upon our week ahead. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.